let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Rev. Richard C. Whitcomb. In October 2012, one of the most destructive hurricanes in history slammed into New York City. The wind was fierce, the rain was torrential, and water flooded the streets. As night began to darken the city, Glenda Moore knew she was in danger. Home alone with her two sons, two-year-old Brandon and four-year-old Connor, she could see the floodwaters rising in the streets. Glenda decided she had to escape, so she grabbed her two young sons, got into her car, and began driving through the storm. But the storm proved too strong for Glenda. A sudden surge of water pounded their car and threw it into a nearby swampy area. Glenda grabbed her two boys, but wave after wave kept coming and crashing into them. She held them tightly, but suddenly a powerful wave swept Brandon and Connor from her arms. And in a moment, they were gone. Imagine the desperation Glenda felt at that moment, alone in the storm, surrounded by the darkness, beaten by the wind and the rain, yet the most horrible thing of all was the loss of her two sons. She had to find them. So for 12 hours, Glenda stayed outside alone in Superstorm Sandy, searching and crying out for her boys. Nothing else mattered, but the one thing that mattered most, finding her two boys, forgetting her own safety and comfort. Glenda Moore would have done anything to reunite with her sons. When I consider the true story of Glenda Moore alone in the storm, searching for her children, I am moved. I can feel the same desperation she felt as a father. I can understand the desire and the determination to stop at nothing to recover my children. So imagine my surprise when the Holy Spirit spoke to me about what I could learn from Glenda Moore. As I reflected on her story, the Lord showed me that he wanted me to have the same desperation and the same desire for him as Glenda had to find her boys. The same zeal that led her to stay out in the storm all night, searching for her children, should mark my desire to stop at nothing to seek God in my life. Like a mother pursuing her lost children, God is calling us to pursue him. To many of us today, this may seem like a strange thought. Why should we pursue God like a mother seeking her lost children? After all, God is all around me. He's with me at all times. Why do I need to make any effort to seek him, to abide in him? Yet there comes a point in time in your walk with God when the Lord wants to know how serious you are with him. There comes a time when you have to go beyond casual curiosity and go deeper into the realm of seeking God. You see, even though God is not hiding from man, neither does he reveal himself to those who are casual or distracted or double-minded. For the fact is, abiding in Christ is reserved for those who hunger after God. All through history, the men who truly abided with God were those who hungered most for him. And God invites all of us to abide in him. But only those who are hungry for him will answer that call. That's the message in our sermon today. We're going to hear God's invitation to all of us to abide in him. And we're going to discover what we must do to answer that call. But before we go on, let's pray. 
Almighty and everlasting Father, stir in us anew and afresh today. Lord, many have drifted from their first love, but I pray today you will bring us back to the place of hunger, the place of desperation for you, the place of zeal in our prayers, in our worship, in our service, and our seeking of you. Give us a new sense of hunger that we might abide in you. We submit to you now, we bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to change us, the power to enlighten us, the power to draw near to you. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to join your faith with mine right now. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me, Lord Jesus. Speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. Amen and amen. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Truth for Today. It's great to have you here with me as we continue our sermon series, Abide. We began this sermon series last week with the sermon, The Power of Abiding. And in that message, God spoke to us that he's calling all of us to abide in him. He's calling all of us to draw close to Jesus. He's calling us to get so close to him that we can hear his heartbeat and feel the warmth of his breath on our cheeks. Now is the time he's calling you to abide with him, to remain close to him, and to get closer every day. So let's discover how we can do that. Now to help you follow along with me and the sermon, we've prepared sermon notes that you can use to learn. These sermon notes are available for free on all my social media sites and on my website. So go ahead, download your notes, and follow along as we discover three truths about the call to abide in Christ. At the top of your notes, you'll find today's scripture text, one verse from John 15, 4. These are powerful words from Jesus about abiding in him. The verse is on your notes, and it's on the screen ahead of you, but you need to get God's word in your heart and in your mouth for it to work in your life. So let's read it out loud together. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Abide in me and I in you. Seven simple words, yet some of the most profound words Jesus uttered. For you see, in this short sentence, Jesus gives us a call, an invitation. In fact, if you think about it, this is the world's greatest invitation. It's an invitation not just to salvation, but an invitation to live in and with the great God of the universe. And the call is made to all of us today. We are all invited to get as close to God as possible. No matter who you are or where you stand in your walk with the Lord, this sermon series is your chance to get closer to God than ever before. And it's my prayer that at the end of this series, you will be able to stand and say, I'm closer to Jesus now than when we started. Amen. So let's take a few minutes today to discover three truths about the call to abide in Christ. And here's the first truth you need to understand. The call to abide in Christ reveals the passion of God for man. See, here's the truth you need to hold in your heart. Abide in me is the world's greatest invitation. And the call to the world's greatest invitation comes from God's great love for you. 
He has invited you to abide in him, to live in him, to dwell in him because of one thing and one thing only. God is passionate about you. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. He wants to enter into the most intimate relationship with you. This great God of the universe, this creator has come and invited you to be near to him. We can see the heart of God for every one of us in Exodus 34, 14 when the Bible says, he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. So even if no one else values you, God values you. Even if no one else wants to know you or talk to you, God desires to talk with you and walk with you. That's why Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord said, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. The love of God draws us. The love of God seeks us. In the New Testament, Jesus said in John 4.23, the Father is actively seeking such people to worship him. So the love of God is drawing you. The love of God is searching for you. It's moving to chase after you that you might abide in him. Even when you go astray, even when you turn aside, even when you don't respond, his love never gives up. He never lets you go. He never stops calling you to abide in him. All through the Bible, this is the true picture of God and man. It's always been a picture of God chasing man. It started when God himself came down from heaven into the Garden of Eden and called out, Adam, Adam, where are you? It continued right through the rebellion of the people of Israel with God sending them prophets day by day to call them back to him. And it continues right now as the Holy Spirit of God moves through the whole earth looking for people who will respond to his invitation, his invitation to love. It's the reason Jesus came to earth. For Luke 19.10 says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's the picture Jesus painted of himself in Luke 15.4 in the story of the lost sheep. He said, I am like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and I find one missing. I will leave the 99. I'll go anywhere to search for the one. I'll stay up all night. I'll trek through the bush. I'll face wild animals. I will do anything to chase after the one that is missing. It's the picture Jesus painted of himself in Luke 15, 8, in the story of the lost coin. He said, I'm like a woman seeking a valuable gold coin. She turned the house upside down. She searched under the table, under the carpet, under the cushion. She swept under the bed. She moved things she hadn't moved in years just to get to the one thing she valued the most. That's a picture of Jesus coming to seek you, coming to invite you. But perhaps the greatest picture of God's love for us, chasing us, is found in the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea is a small book written by the prophet named Hosea. Most of the book is a prophecy about what would soon happen in Israel. But at the beginning of his book, before most of the prophecy is given, we find the story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. It's a story God gives to illustrate his love for us, his people. It's a story that shows us how God chases man. The story begins in chapter 1 when God tells Hosea to go and marry an unfaithful woman named Gomer. Now that alone is a hard command from God. When you read it, you can hardly believe it. Nevertheless, that's exactly what God says in Hosea 1-2. He tells the prophet, go and marry a prostitute. Hey, 
so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. How can this be? How can God ask a prophet, a man of God, to go and marry a prostitute and have children with her? Yet the very next sentence tells us exactly why God commanded Hosea to do this. God said, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So it's clear. God has a purpose in this story. He's sending us a message. God is using Hosea as an illustration of how God loves us even when we've sinned, even when we turn away from the Lord, even when we take other lovers and are unfaithful to him. God still loves us. He still chases after us. I marvel at the obedience of the prophet Hosea. At God's command, he goes and he marries a prostitute, Gomer. He doesn't know why, but he obeys. And at first, things seem to work out. For several years, Hosea and Gomer live together as man and wife. They have three children together. And Hosea probably started to think, well, God has used me to redeem Gomer. She has changed by his grace. But then one day, Hosea wakes up and Gomer is gone. He wakes the children, but they don't know where their mother is. He asks the neighbors, but no one knows. He searches the market. He calls his in-laws, but there is no sign of Gomer. And slowly, a sinking feeling hits his stomach. Could it be she left him? Could it be she's gone back? Hosea probably thinks to himself, if she has gone back, then we are finished. I will never take her back again. He puts the thoughts out of his mind, too dark and horrible to consider. He keeps searching and asking, still hoping and praying. Then one day the news comes back to him. Gomer has returned to her old life. She is selling herself down by the port in the bad part of town. Gomer has returned to prostitution. <laughs> Suddenly, Hosea's world falls apart. He weeps. He mourns. He feels so humiliated. And he shakes his head and shuts the door and changes the lock and vows, I will never take her back. But the story is not over. Just like your story doesn't end with your sin and failure, Gomer's story doesn't end there either. God comes to Hosea and says the most amazing thing to him. In Hosea 3.1, God commands him to go again and bring Gomer back. Listen to the word of God. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who's loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. God said, go again, go find her, go chase after her, go back and take her up and bring her home, love her again, pursue her. And then he tells us this, just like the love of the Lord, for this is a picture of what God does for us. He chases you, he pursues you, he buys you and brings you back from a life of sin. He redeems you from other lovers and restores you to himself. I can just see the prophet Hosea when he hears this news, how hard it was the first time to marry a prostitute, but now to go and take her back again, to chase her down and bring her home again, 
after she has disgraced him, after she has turned her back on him, after she walked out on him and the children and went to commit adultery with other lovers. Oh, my God. I can see Hosea dressed in the robes of a prophet, walking on the streets of the city. How painful, how heartbreaking. He goes into the bad part of town, the place where you don't drive at night. And if you go there in the daytime, you lock your car door and drive as fast as you can without stopping. The part of town where no respectable man of God would ever go. The streets get darker. The buildings get older. The atmosphere gets more evil. And when he reaches the place where the prostitutes work, he starts to ask. I'm looking for a woman, he says. The men smile and nod their heads. Ha, ha, ha. You've come to the right place, man. We have women here. No, he says, not like that. I'm looking for a specific woman, a woman named Gomer. She's my wife. Imagine the shame. Imagine the pain. Imagine the humiliation. Oh, Gomer, yeah. We know where she is. But you'll have to wait. The men say, she's with a customer right now. We don't know what happened, but we know this. When Hosea finally finds Gomer, he tries to take her home. But the men stop him. If you want her, you have to pay for her, the men say. What? But she's my wife. She belongs to me. It doesn't matter who she is or what she is to you, the men say. If you want her, you have to pay for her. And so Hosea has to pay for what already belonged to him. He has to buy her back. Other men sought to buy her, to use her, but Hosea buys her to heal her. And this is the picture of God's passionate love for you. Jesus is Hosea, and you and I are Gomer. We've turned our backs on God. We've sought the pleasures of sin. We've sold ourselves for the things of this world. We've worshipped idols in our hearts and made idols with our hands. We became servants of Satan, and we're bound by his chains. We've taken God's love for granted. Yet still he does not give up on us. No matter how far we fall, he chases us. No matter how great our sin, he still wants to abide with us. And when he finds us, he pays for us. For 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus paid for what he already possessed. He shed his blood to purchase back what he already owned. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. We belong to him. We are his chosen people. We are his possession. But to redeem us, he has to pay for us. He has to come down to the filthy squalor of this sin-filled earth. He has to walk amongst the cheaters and the liars and the prostitutes and thieves. He has to go where the Son of God should never have gone. And then most of all, he has to suffer and die for us to purchase our redemption on the cross. That's why 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. The Message Bible says a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. 
Why? Because Jesus is passionate about you. He wants to abide with you. And the fact is God has done all he can to reach you. He's invited you. He's died for you. He's called you. Yet still, with all of God's efforts, most men don't abide with God. And that brings us to our second truth today. The call to abide in Christ requires a response from man to God. See, here's the truth you need to hold in your heart. God responds to those who respond to him. This is what the Bible says in James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The fact is God has done all he can to come close to you. Now there's something you must do. You have to respond. For God will always come near to those who come near to him. But unless you respond, you will never abide in Christ. Unless you seek him, you will never find him. For even though God desires you more than anything else, he will not force himself on you. You must respond. This has always been God's pattern with man. All through the Bible, we see that the men who came near to God were the ones who responded to him. Think about the response of Moses. God put a mighty call upon his life. God had a plan to raise Moses to deliver the children of Israel. God wanted Moses to be a man who would see his glory. And so one day God came down in Exodus 3 and appeared to Moses like a flame in a burning bush. Listen to what the Bible says. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Moses had to turn aside. He could have made excuses. He could have said, well, I don't have the time. I'm on my way somewhere. He could have been more focused on caring for his sheep and he could have missed God if he'd ignored the burning bush. And God would have found another deliverer for his people. But Moses turned aside and responded to God, and God used him. Think about the response of the prophet Samuel. The Bible tells us that before he was a prophet, the little boy Samuel was dedicated to God's service by his mother Hannah. He grew up in the temple around the worship and the prayer. He knew all the rituals of religion, but Samuel did not know God. God's hand was upon him. God was calling him. But Samuel had not yet known God. One night, as the little boy lay down to sleep, God called his name. Samuel didn't know that God spoke to man. He didn't know that God wanted a relationship. He didn't know God was calling him and that God was passionate about him. He didn't know that man could know God and speak to him like you speak with a friend. Samuel only knew religion. He didn't know relationship. So he ignored God and ran to his master, Eli, and said, Eli, you called me. Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And again, Samuel in bed, God called him. And again, he got up and ran to Eli. And he said, no, I didn't call you. Samuel went back to bed. And the third time, Samuel was in bed. And God called him again. And because he didn't know God, because he didn't know God's voice, because he wasn't seeking God, he ignored the Lord and went to Eli. Then Eli said, wait a minute. Maybe this voice you've heard is the voice of God. When you go back to bed and you hear the voice again, say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. So in 1 Samuel 3.10, when God called the fourth time, Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. And God came down and met him. From that moment in his life, his life was never the same. He came near to God and God came near to him. I have read this story and wondered, 
Well, why didn't God just tell the boy that it was him? But God was testing Samuel's hunger. He was testing his response. God wanted to know if Samuel was sincere, if he would really chase after God. And friend, I believe right now God is calling you. All through your life, God has been calling you. All along, he's been chasing after you. He speaks to you every day, but you are ignoring his voice. So often you look in other places. You want to hear from a prophet. You want to have a dream, but God is speaking to you in your spirit. Sometimes you think it's your imagination, and you miss your destiny because you're not hungry for God. But today I challenge you to respond to his call. Like Moses, like Samuel, like every other man in history, you've got to come near and say, Lord, speak to me. Come near and visit me. Come near and abide with me. And sadly, I'm afraid that most of us are not abiding in Christ. We're content to be in the garden without being connected to the vine. We accept religious experience, but avoid a relationship with Christ. We're too busy chasing after the things of this world to spend time to turn aside and seek God. We're too busy seeking material blessings to stop and listen to his voice. We're more caught up in our battles than we are caught up in looking for Jesus. At the beginning of my message today, I told you the true story of Glenda Moore and her desperate search for her two missing boys, Brandon and Connor. Sadly, those two little boys died. They were drowned in the flood. Four days after being ripped from their mother's arms, their little bodies were found. Brandon and Connor can never be replaced. Glenda Moore may have mementos of their lives, but she doesn't have them. She may have fond memories of her kids, but she can never hold them. She may have pictures of their smiling faces, but she will never see them grow up and grow old. So imagine trying to console Glenda Moore. What would you tell her? Would you tell her, just be content with the pictures of the boy. That's enough for you. Would you comfort her by telling her to simply remember them? Would Glenda Moore be happy just to sit and look at the photographs and never embrace her children? No. No matter how beautiful her memories, no matter how beautiful the pictures, her boys are gone. And there is no substitute for the presence of the boys themselves. For the memory of a loved one can never take the place for the presence of the one you love. So why are you content holding on to memories of what God has done, yet you lack his daily presence in your life right now? Why are you content to talk about God and sing about God and read about God and hear about God, but you are not experiencing God? Oh, we believe in God. We cry out for miracles. We acknowledge our need for God, but we're content with seeing his manifestations without knowing him. We're satisfied to have a very distant relationship with him rather than abiding in him. So let me ask you some very tough questions. If you had to choose between knowing God more than ever or getting a miracle financial breakthrough in your life, which would you choose? If you had to choose between being closer to God than ever before or getting a contract that would make you millions, which would you choose? If you could only have one, which would you choose? Because sadly, I believe that most people in the church today would rather have God's blessings than a relationship with him. This was the mistake the children of Israel made. They failed to understand that the passion of God was for them, 
they didn't realize his purpose. They thought he delivered them from Egypt to take them into the promised land. But God did not deliver them from Egypt to take them to the promised land. God delivered them from Egypt to take them to himself. For Exodus 19.4 tells us, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Friends, the fact is God did not bring the children of Israel out of Egypt to take them into the promised land. He brought them out to bring them to himself. Moses told Pharaoh they were going to the wilderness to worship, and their first stop was Mount Horeb for an encounter with God. Yet when they got there and God came down in a mighty glory of his presence, the people ran away. When they had the chance to meet God, they drew back instead of drawing near. And I'm afraid there are many in the church today who are just like the children of Israel. We think the only purpose in our salvation is to get us to a better place financially. The gospel being preached today is selling blessings without any knowledge of God. We want miracles without the miracle worker. We want the promised land, but not the promised one. We follow God for what he will give to us, but not for him himself. And when things get difficult, we want to go back to Egypt. It was better for me in the world, we say. For when the children of Israel ran into trouble, they always complained. And God in his mercy answered them. When there was no water, he made water come from the rock. When there was no food, he sent quails in the wilderness. But the Bible says that though their outward needs were met, the soul of the people became lean. Listen to Psalm 106. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies. They soon forgot your works. They did not wait for your counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. In other words, they got their prayers answered, but they choked on the meat as they ate it. And today, millions of Christians are choking. The church today is walking in abundance and blessing outwardly, yet we're lean in our souls. There's very little true revelation. There's talk of prosperity and promotion, a blessing and breakthrough, but only a few abide in Christ. Only a handful really know him. So let me ask you a question. What is your response? Are you more interested in what God will do for you or in who he is? Do you want to just see his hand of blessing on your life? Or do you want to see his face? One day I was getting dressed to go to the church office for meetings. I went to my wardrobe and picked out a nice pair of trousers. After I put them on, I slipped my hands into the pockets. And to my surprise, I felt something inside the pocket. It was a bundle of cash. Hey! <laughs> Hallelujah. I pulled it out and discovered money inside my pocket. I was so excited. Where had this money come from? Ah, I must have left it in the pocket the last time I wore those trousers and I had forgotten it was there. I told my wife, look, I found 200 Ghana CDs in my trouser pocket. I left it there when I wore this trouser last week, but I forgot about it. Now, anytime I hang my trousers in the wardrobe, my wife always goes and checks the pockets. Hey, but listen. I didn't put on the trouser hoping to find money. I put on the trouser to wear them. I didn't put them on in the hope of getting 200 Ghana CDs. I wanted to get dressed and go to meeting. But while putting on the trouser, I got an unexpected blessing. And it's the same way 
with your relationship with Christ. You don't abide in Christ so that you will get blessed. Hey, you don't come to God in prayer and worship so that you will get blessed with financial prosperity. We come to God for his sake, to know him, to worship him, to fellowship with him. He's not the means to an end. God is the end. He's our purpose and our meaning in life. But you can be sure, when you put on Christ, there will always be a pocket full of blessings that are more than you imagined. God will surprise you with good things as you abide in Christ. So don't seek the blessings, seek the one who gives the blessings. Don't seek the promises, seek the one who gives the promises. Don't seek the promised land, seek the promised one. For the blessing always follows the blessing giver. The promises always follow the promised one. And when you are in love with the promised one, anywhere and everywhere will become a promised land. Even the wilderness will become a fruitful watered garden. When Jesus presence is there. Moses turned aside and met God. Samuel listened and met God. The children of Israel sought the promised land, not the promised one, and they missed God. They choked on their miracle and died in the wilderness. They had all the blessings for 40 years that they could need, yet they missed God. God will not force himself on you. God seeks us, but man must respond. So how will you respond to all who come close to abide in him? God promises he will draw near to you. And that's our final truth today. The call to abide in Christ results in the promise of God for man. See, there's a promise of fruitfulness to all who abide in Christ. Fruit comes automatically to those who abide in Christ. So often in our Christian lives, we focus on the result of knowing God. We want our relationship with God to produce good things in our lives, so we strive to make those things happen. But you don't need to strive to produce fruit. You need to abide to produce fruit. The focus should be on the abiding, the connection we have with Christ. When we focus on that, fruit will come automatically in your life. For fruit doesn't come by striving. Fruit comes by abiding. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 5, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this truth works in every life. No matter who you are, if you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. You don't need to be educated or talented or beautiful or well-known. You simply need to abide. Anyone can do that. For in Acts 10, the Bible says Peter fairly exploded with this good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. Friends, God is no respecter of persons. So why are some people closer to God than others? Why do some abide in Christ so deeply that they bear more fruit than others? The fact is, some are closer to God than all others because they respond to him the most. They seek him the most. They hunger for him the most. Any one of us can be close to God. The fact is, you are as close to God today as you want to be. 
This sermon series is the chance for you to hear his invitation and respond. It's your time to draw near and abide in Christ. This is your burning bush, so turn aside. This is your call from God in the night, so get up like Samuel and answer him. For Jesus has a message for you today, found in Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. When we hear this voice, we often think that Jesus is speaking to the unsaved, the unbelievers, the lost, but that's not the case. In Revelation 3, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is speaking to his church. This passage in Revelation 3.20 is Christ calling his own people. Here I am. I stand at the door knock. That's God's passion for you. He's knocking. He's seeking you. He's calling you. He's inviting you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that shows the response required from you. You must respond. You must open the door or there won't be any connection. You must hear God's voice and let him in. You must desire Christ more than his blessings. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's God's promise to you. If you turn to him, he will turn to you. If you open to him, he will come in. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you abide in him, he will abide with you. Today marks the start of a new thing in your life. Today marks the day you stop seeking things and start seeking God. Today is the day you can begin to abide in Christ. Father, I pray for everyone watching and listening. Seal up the seed of your word in our hearts. We bind every power of the enemy that would come to steal this seed out of our hearts. And we command every foul spirit to be gone. We loose the spirit of the living God and we ask you, Lord, water this seed. Let it go down deep and take root in our lives. Let it come up and bear fruit. Draw us close to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.